All right, welcome along to the RT Soccer Podcast. Raf Giallo here, and I'm joined by former Dundalk manager and Longford Town legend Vinnie Perth and journalist David Snaid. Lads, I hope you're uh, both keeping well on this. Uh, I think the first proper sunny day we've had in a while. <laughs> Unfortunately, I think jo- Joe Biden missed all of this when uh, when he was here. Sorry, Raf, did you call me a Longford legend? Longford Town legend. Oh Jesus, that's <laughs> quite the compliment. I think I, the last time you were on, I think I used it. You might have just missed. Uh, you might miss those three words coming through. But anyway, look, you, you take take the praise where where it comes. Anyway, oh, but, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you it. have to update your social media profiles now with that video. Yeah. to get that top bill. Longford legend, according to Raf. Yeah. Anyway, uh, well, look, I used to support Longford when I was young, so uh, I think we we'll, you can you can take you can take the praise from me anyway, <laughs> whether, whether it's worth anything or not. <laughs> it's. I'm not sure. But anyway, look, we'll be chatting SSE or Tristy League and much more of it later on. But first, on last week's podcast, we were talking a lot about Neil Farouge's potential after brilliant performance for Shamrock Rovers at Bowes and some glowing comments from Stephen Bradley as manager post-match. And a few days later, uh, Dr. Kevin O'Grady got in touch with me about the work he's been doing with Neil on his game. And then lo and behold, on Saturday, David, I uh, click open the uh, 42.ie and I saw you'd also been chatting to Kevin, albeit you've told yeah. me off air that actually you've been you've been in contact with him a little bit longer. And uh, you were also chatting to Jamie McGrath and about the exact same thing. And this is about Incision Football, which is a platform that a number of younger Irish players have been using with Dr. Kevin O'Grady to sort of hone their game. So you might tell me a little bit about your piece, um, what uh, Incision Football is about, and then just in regards to Jamie McGrath and how he was the guinea pig for all of this. Yeah, it, it was an interesting one, yeah, because like, I know you were joking about it, so I'd, I'd pretty much been starting writing this article about a month ago, and then, uh, yeah, my wife went into labour, so I had to put that on the uh, the back burner for a little bit, and then I got around to finishing it over over last week, but it was just a bit of an interesting one, Um, you, it's one of them where you see now all the time, say, on social media, on Instagram, and all the rest of it, the other footballers will post stuff up when they're in the gym, doing extras, or doing finishing work on the, on the training pitch and stuff, and then, yeah, like, you just got in touch about, you know, there are a lot of players, younger players, who kind of are wanting to try and understand the game a bit more themselves, understand certain actions and moments, and try and have a better, again, understanding seemed to be the big thing, understanding of when to make certain decisions in games. And like, I just thought it was pretty interesting from the point of view of, of listening to a coach, like, say, Dr. Kevin O'Grady, who, yeah, is a doctor, he's the, the son of Donald O'Grady, who won, was led Cork to an All-Ireland Hurland uh, Championship, um, it was more so interesting just from the point of view of well, how does it actually work between, say, the player wanting to have that extra understanding of, say, tactical awareness in games and making those decisions. But then also, when you've got demands from a manager, <laughs> which is ideal now that Vinny is on, but when you've got certain demands from a manager and like even the fact that we say with Jamie McGrath, who's on law now, obviously at Dundee United from Wigan, and you're fighting for your life in a relegation battle. Well, how do those two correlate between wanting to learn and soak in more information with someone like Jamie definitely wants to do and then obviously deliver for your manager and have those results? So, like, yeah, so we, obviously that piece went up over the weekend. And it's just, I thought, I thought it was interesting from the point of view of players will say, for the WhatsApp, WhatsApp on and you have a conversation over coffee, over Zoom, and it'll be very much player-led from the point of view of what they know they need to work on. But then also as that relationship with with Dr. O'Grady, Kevin O'Grady would develop then that he can kind of pick things a little bit because obviously he's a qualified coach, you know. He was actually on a, one of the coaching licenses where um with Stephen O'Donnell, the Dundalk manager. So uh it's just another element to it, you know, of maybe 
you mentioned there as well, there is a lot of the younger lads, a lot of the Connor Coventry, the former Ireland 21s captain, he'd be one of, of the lads who does this. Obviously, Neil Ferrugia as well. Andy Lyons has gone over to, to Blackpool now from Rovers and had a great season. Seems to be maybe, I don't know, maybe hopefully it's a, it's, it's a good sign of, of, of some of the players who want to maybe have a bit of a, I don't know, just extend their knowledge of the game and understanding because this is one of the aspects from what I was trying to think, well, how, do, how does it reckon? Because games can be so taken fast, coming so taken fast, and how do you actually remember certain stuff, like any tactical thing, and yeah, I just hope, hopefully, like people, if you're reading, you might kind of get a, a bit of a different, another bit of a sense of, well, some of the extra work a, a lot of lads do, are now starting to do, um, on the mental side of the game, and that understanding of it as well, you know? Yeah, and uh, the, the overall kind of, I suppose, point of it is the, the focus is on helping in-game decision-making, yeah, so those yeah. tailored sessions online, and, the other thing, because as you said, there's that, I suppose, the relationship between the clubs and what the players are doing outside. So what Kevin O'Grady says to you, um, it's working within the parameters of how their manager wants them to play is the priority. And uh, Vinny, I mean, this is a thing where I suppose players are going out of their own way to do little bits of extra work outside. As a manager, is that something that you actually find kind of encouraging, um, even though maybe it's it's coming from outside the remit of the coaching setup at the club? Yeah, no, I think I think if a player is um, going off and doing his own thing in, in the sense of, um, de- you know, investing in his own personal development and, um, you, you know, trying to achieve his own goals, you, it tells you you've got a player in a really healthy mindset, okay? So, for, first of all, um, it should be seen as a positive, um, but there's no doubt a coach or manager needs to also have some sort of insight in terms of what's being discussed and because in every football team there's obviously small uh, details where you're expecting someone like particularly Jamie in terms of his role and what's required of him and um, so it's something that you would largely welcome but you will also be very conscious of what's being discussed and um, it used to be it used to be parents a lot parents and even of senior players it used to be parents and um, but the fact that um, this program seems to be with more people with bigger understanding of the game and, and the mentality that's required around the game that's that's obviously a help but you, you'd be also surprised when the players are still turned to parents or brothers and discuss stuff with them and uh, so it t- does tell you players are looking for some some other mm-hmm means to do it but and also in an individual coach has become the norm in a lot of clubs now as well where people um are reviewing one-on-one training sessions not necessarily with the with the manager but with one an individual coach who'll go through uh detailed stuff with them and as i said if a player's got that growth growth mindset as a coach you'd be really happy to hear hear him doing doing his own stuff that point that even Vinny makes about say fellas turning to say parents or brothers or even that close circle obviously you hear a lot of the time you know especially growing up you know back in the car and the dad or the man would say oh you had a good game today or you, you weren't great but a lot of the time it's almost as if players want to be want to hear what they want to hear and say oh no, you're great you're brilliant the manager is doing x y and z he should be doing that for you and it's almost as if they want to be reaffirmed that they're in the right and the manager's in the wrong because no one wants to be told well do you know what you have to do something a bit different here because there's a reason why you're not in the team or there's a reason why you're not delivering and that's what i actually found quite interesting from from jane because he was the only player that I spoke to again just to be honest with some time constraints in terms of getting the piece out and stuff but he was making the point that he even felt himself there was times, even though he was deli- doing 
kind of doing well that he was on the periphery of games and the periphery of moments. So like getting into certain aspects where he was like, you know what, he actually realised himself something maybe not just standing back in games and letting the game maybe pass him by a little bit and not actually influencing it maybe as he felt he could have if he was being a bit more assertive. And I think that from a from a player, he's not a young lad anymore, let's be honest. Like he can probably 27 now, I think. Like he's got a bit of experience behind them. And he's also got, let's be honest, he's also got experience of the, the tough side of it in terms of obviously going over to St. Mary and initially getting a move to Wigan, talk about decisions. But maybe people look at that, that move hasn't really worked out for him because he's had to go and, and have a couple of loans. But that's where I think from, from a player like for him and obviously in around the Ireland setup, made his Ireland debut not long after starting doing some of this work as well, which I don't think was all down to that. But, you know, it's just another factor to it. He made that when he made his debut against Portugal. But I just think it's important that when you see the fact that you've got a player who's actually willing to say, actually hold his hands up a little bit and say, you know what, we needed to do a bit more and be aware of what of what he needed to do differently. He wasn't just going and saying, like, oh, I'm great at this. I don't, I don't understand why things aren't working. He kind of had that understanding that he did need to do more in terms of making those decisions in games. One of the points he made was just examining some of the movements, but also some of the positivity that, say, Thomas Muller would have in terms of certain runs from certain positions. And that's only one little small thing, but... Oh, was, that was quite interesting. And then just finally on the point, from the point, it's only when I was chatting to, to Kevin O'Grady about this and he mentioned Andy Lyons being one of his players because it brought me back to the start of last season when he obviously went from balls to rovers and was having a, a great start of the season and got chatting to people about Andy Lyons at that point and they all, even within the, the rovers dressing room, then obviously Stephen Bradley and his staff, they just said how how quick he took on information and how keen he was to get information. And that is such a big thing for, for any player. Like, if you're able to take that information on and and use it and not have a manager have to worry about drilling something into you five, six, seven, eight times, that if he tells you once, you cop on and you, and you use it. Do you know what I mean? And I think that could be a thing that, obviously, he's gone off the black bill now. They're going through a bit of turmoil. But in terms of having that career, and managers, and again, Vinny will know this, managers not having to worry about especially for defenders or whatever, you know, I have to drill something into them, I have to do extra work just in a session. If a fella is, is getting information and is using it straight away, it's ideal. Yeah, and the amount of goals he scores from wing back, like even with Blackpool um, in recent times, I think that probably tells you something about someone who wants to understand space and where to be and, and different things. And he was scoring a good few. He was on a good run last last season with Shamrock Rovers as well. But just finally on this, uh, in regard to Jamie McGravenny, um, I, I remember, about, I think it was about 18 months ago, I was interviewing Jim Goodwin, who's now the Dundee United manager till the end of the season. He was managing Aberdeen um, earlier, earlier this season before parting ways with them. But... At St. Mirren, before that, he would have had um, Jamie McGrath and a clutch of Irish players. And I remember he told me in regards to McGrath, uh, McGrath would have arrived at St. Mirren with the characteristics of a number 10. And then the whole thing was about turning him into more of an eight. And coincidentally, what we've seen of him in an Ireland shirt, he's pretty much uh, your quintessential number eight sort of breaking the lines. Uh, the Jamie McGrath you remember working with at Dundalk and then the one you see now, like, is it a journey that you can kind of track and that you can kind of see visually as well? Yeah, I think um, I think we also have to be careful because you listen to people talking about, say, even spores about mentality and mentality, and it's such a lazy word. With Jamie, when he first arrived, um, I think we felt, myself and Stephen felt, Jamie was a little bit safe, so safe in his play, and he'd get the ball off a fullback and he'd switch it to another fullback. But the mentality of us at that time, we wanted Jamie to take it on a half turn 
and put one over behind. He had the quality to put it in behind for Michael Duffy. He set up a goal-scoring chance and taking those risks. And I think I think what Jamie got better as, like in 2019, um, he was outstanding. That was his best season for Dundalk. Um, he was just simply outstanding and probably one of the best players in the league. And I think where that was built on is he got braver in his play. Um, we always felt it was goals in him, but he wasn't a natural goal scorer. And um, I remember texting him at one stage when he was scoring for Wigan goal. I could have done with a few of them goals last year, pal. Like, what, what are you doing? You know, but, um, but, but it is, and it, it, and and the only other point I'm making it is, um, it's not for everybody that it's not. We all, I've met so many players who learn differently, um, and it's the same in any sort of learning environment. You know, some people learn through books, and when you coach a player who's come through the UCD system. It, it is brilliant because he gets things and but it doesn't mean they're the most talented and you, you get someone who's an actual street footballer and he wants to learn by being on the pitch by learning through drills by you know going through phases of play and other players just want to learn through video so it's it's yeah. not for everybody it's not something that that's going to just because it's working for Jamie every parent in Irish football should be signing their son up to this it's it is everyone is different. We all learn differently. And uh, but uh, going back to Jamie, uh, he's got a growth mindset, and he had that in eighteen and nineteen. As I said, he was he, he was probably our player of the season, and um, it, it's great to see him continue to learn. And that's something that other players should look at and, and take note. Yeah, and anyway, I'll be uh, hopefully chatting to Dr. Kevin O'Grady myself in, in depth anyway over the next couple of weeks and some of the some of the players as well who've been kind of using the platform. But uh, turning our attentions to the SSE or Trinity League and uh, this Friday, the, we do have a live match on RT2 and the RT player, um, 7.45pm kickoff. It's Shelburne against Dundalk, so you can mark that down in your diary. But last Friday, anyway, uh, Pats beat Bowes 3-2 at Daily, Daily Mount Park. Quite a lot happened in that game, we're, and we're going to go into detail on that very shortly then Shamrock Rovers and Shelburne which was a the TV game on RT a two all draw there between them UCD beat Cork City 1-0 again a huge uh, victory there for UCD that we'll get into and then on Saturday Sligo Rovers and Drada drew one all and then yesterday and a game that was pushed back because because of Joe Biden's visit to uh to uh to Ireland uh Dundalk and Derry City was played on the Sunday and it was a two-all draw there but first we're gonna um start on the Shelburne Shamrock Rovers game and this is Damien Duff speaking post-match I think it's um two points dropped for sure and that's testament to the guys uh you're coming away to the most difficult place in the country best squad best players biggest budget best team and we're disappointed we didn't win the game how do you make the jump then to see out a result like that Listen, we just keep working hard, that's all I ever do here. Yeah, we reflect, we'll do post-match video, etc. But uh, all you can do is just keep building and building and building. Like I said, we deserve to win the game tonight. I'm sure Stephen will say different, but uh, we the best chances, set up uh, really well. The guys play, I couldn't be proud of them, they're in there, good. Um, but they look the proper team. Set pieces again, proving costly. Uh, yeah, listen, sometimes it's... I'm not taking the guys out, but it's that bit of naivety and them taking responsibility. You know, Jack Burns set up, he's not shooting. Uh, there's four in the wall and we're weak on the, the backside for the for the wide free kick. So, um, listen, the lads are good with that here. Listen, I, 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 you know, I don't want to be dismissive and talk about, you know, the development of this team, the growth of this team. Is that all part of the narrative tonight? That Because here you are now, two seasons in a row, you're going to walk away from Tala having not taken three points in a game that you should have taken three points from. That's very difficult to take, irrespective of 
the golfing budgets and the golfing squads? Uh, yeah, listen, it is, but here I'll go home and have a glass of wine tonight and uh, it's my son Woody's birthday, so I'll soon have to forget about it. But I think it's, uh, again, testament to the, the club, the players, they bought into everything that I and the staff have offered them. Um, and yeah, they're disappointed they haven't won. You forget we're a newly promoted team. We're only in the in the league for um, five rounds of games, if you if you understand what I mean. So uh, yeah, to become Tatala, hard luck story, but they were absolutely outstanding. I don't think anyone in the ground can disagree with me. Is it difficult for them to accept that? Like, do they know that in the moment, or is that something that just needs to sink in over the next day or two? Ah, listen, it's a strange one in a way. Yeah, we're disappointed going away, but they have to, you know, grow and give belief. Jesus, yeah, we've come, we've give. Like I said, the best team in the country by a mile, a proper game. Uh, I believe you're with us again next week. So here, we'll see how they respond to it next week. Should you have had a penalty? Uh, well, I was having a bit of a banger on the touchline. I'm not sure whether it was. If you're looking for me to uh, comment on the officials in this league, just copy and paste what I said a couple of weeks mm. ago. Just a final, you know, you're missing big players, experienced players again tonight. You talked about it being a young squad. How important is maybe the bit of composure and the experience? Was that something that could have made a big difference in the second half when that wave of pressure was coming on? Absolutely not. Uh, I think if you look at the goals, if you look at Matty Smith's goal, it's pure calm, composure and quality. So, no, I think Stephen said in his pre-match build-up that, you know, we defend in a low block. We don't. They have the best players. They build the game well. They get up the pitch. So, inevitably, you end up on the edge of your box. So, no, listen, the guys were absolutely amazing. They were full of calmness, composure and quality. And I'm disappointed for it. Enjoy the birthday party. Thank, Thank you very time. much. Cheers. All right. So, that was Damien Duff speaking to Damien O'Mara after the two-all draw between Shelburne and Shamrock Rovers. Vinny, just on this, we were talking in the last few weeks uh, on this podcast about, you know, Shelburne's, you know, they're very well organised and defensively, they're record is brilliant but going forward it wasn't always clicking and yet here they cut through Shamrock Rovers a couple of times on the break and were sort of brilliant on that front. Yeah I thought it was a really really strong performance for them and I think I think if I can have me moan of the week would be the pitch and tallow was excellent and no surprise when you have a really good pitch that good footballers can play good football and I think Talke pitch is good, but the difference with going to Tallow and the surroundings and uh, just seemed to inspire some of the players. I thought they were excellent. The way they moved the ball, the way they cut through Shamrock Rovers and they exploited Shamrock Rovers' shape allows you um, some space in wide areas and they exploited that at different stages. And I just thought it was an outstanding performance from, from Shells. And I seen them the week before against Sligo where, albeit they won, I wasn't that impressed with them in terms of uh, and how they played, but the other night they were, you know, really unlucky not to win it. I think a draw was probably a fair result, despite what Damien says. But I just thought um, uh, some of their movement, the, the goal by Maddie Smith, that was an excellent play. Jack Moylan was brilliant the way he laid the ball, but it was more than that. There was um, big performance. Shane Griffin and Paddy Barr shot the real experience at the back, and uh, they were comfortable and they passed the ball well. And hey, no shock, you. you Give people a good pitch and they pass the ball well on it, and they were they were they were outstanding. And it was I've seen them maybe four times live this year, and that was probably the best performance. Yeah, and David on the the set piece front as well. Obviously, uh, Pico Lopez is equaliser at the very end. He was unmarked. I think there was also another Shamrock Rovers player behind mm. him as well. So that has been a little bit of an Achilles heel. Yeah, it was three on one, and it's only when you look about it. At, at no point did he seem actually properly set to actually defend the 
the free kick. And that's obviously what 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 Duff has said, isn't it? And that like, you can see that maybe that bit of naivety where you can tell that it's not going to be a shot on goal. You've got four fellas in the wall. You just maybe you drag a couple of them out and just get a couple more bodies because even again, Vinny knows this. He's a the coach and manager like that is that should be something that on the pitch players should be able to recognise because if you look back at it and I was again I was just, just looking back at it again this morning just like you know, double check at no point I don't think at any point is there is there anybody near Lopez you know it's I'm considering it's Jack Bourne it's not as if it's not as if you could maybe take a bit of a risk here and say you know what the delivery might not be great nine times out of ten with Jack Bourne you know the delivery is going to be fantastic and even in the game with how he was playing he was doing well he was creating stuff like you know you knew what was coming and it, it just it kind of beg our belief just how 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 that goal was conceded and it it was I'd say it was kind of the best they are just a little bit inconsistent shells they are it's not without it was just the nature of of teams throughout the league really but even that teams like that as well you're gonna have maybe performances that are nine out of ten in certain aspects of the game but then could be two out of ten that was that was one of them because like that that goal they got uh, the Moylan goal everything about that the in terms of the fact that the ball wasn't just this is obviously from the pass, wasn't it? McManus to pass into into Moyle. And the fact that it wasn't just launched into space and cleared the lines, it was that bit of composure, it was that bit of just finesse about it. And then you have Moyle. And it was actually funny because the funny thing that was coming to my head when he was in the race where um Bahar was thinking, I don't think he's gonna win it. Because I remember being in one of one of the one of the first of our matches at Talca when when Duff had taken charge. And he absolutely went through Jack Moyle and called him lazy legs because he wasn't because he wasn't putting enough graft in or whatever. And that's obviously something maybe that's working because it's all well and good him saying that you can have that little flick over the top, but then getting on top of it and then having that sense of composure to be able to slow it down a little bit and then play that perfectly way to pass. It, it's kind of reminded me a little bit of remember the Arsenal Liverpool match a couple of weeks ago in the last minute when Martinelli has that ball to slip in for a second. Yeah. And I, I know it's a totally different stage of the game, but it's kind of similar. You know, the pass has to be weighted perfectly, and Matty Smith can just stride onto it, doesn't have to stop. But then you go with the other end of the pitch, and you've got the, the basics there, not the only right. And I'd say when Do- when Damien Duff was talking about doing a post match video, I'd say a lot of it would be on that because for the team like Shells getting undone by a set piece. Uh, Rovers is just an absolute killer. Like the fourth goal he scored, that's almost exactly what you expect now from Rovers in terms of the quality. It's Jack Bourne and it's Graham Burke and it's those maybe the distances between them and being able to find that space. Because we again without rambling on this, what if you look at it, which again I thought was fantastic, like because Bourne's on the ball, Burke can have a look over his left and look over his right before he even has to consider getting the pass because he knows the ball's going to come to him. He knows Jack Bourne is capable of feeding that ball in with the pace that's needed. So he's able to have that look either side. So he knows exactly what he can do. And then he and then he, obviously the finish is just exceptional. But yeah, for Shells, it was yeah, it was definitely it was the best and worst of what they're about, I think. And on Shells, yeah, David, real quickly, is that um if you go back to the, the Derry game a couple of weeks ago, set piece, they're not a big team, Shells, you know, and they're giving up too many goals from set pieces. And uh, it's a well worked goal. I think it's Ryan Graydon with a block and he score a header. Uh, Daniel Lafferty scored a header from a set piece against Sligo and then against Rovers. So that sometimes happens with young players. One, they're not big players and shells are, are vulnerable from set pieces. But two is um, young players can get done at set pieces and experienced players tend to get that little block, know when to drag a guy, when not to drag him. And it's all part of the learning process for Shelburne. But um, that's something they'd have to cut out if if they want to continue to, to climb the table. Yeah, and uh, let's listen to Stephen Bradley, who was also speaking to Damien O'Mara after the match. 
Stephen, um, a lot of debate on the panel that a point was a fair result. Do you go along with that? Yeah, I think so. I think we had chances to win a late on, but we didn't do enough for 60 minutes to win the game. I thought we, for 60 minutes, we were really poor. Um, the last 30 minutes, we show our quality and, and possibly could win it, but it draws a fair result. We didn't do enough. What was the message at halftime? Because it's unusual to see you make two substitutions at the break. Not to be fair, they're two injuries. Uh, we were going to make different changes, but they were two injuries. Um, but we just knew at half-time it was nowhere near our levels. Did you feel in patches it was going to be a frustrating night? We spoke beforehand about Shelburne and their defensive structures, the meanest team in the, the league, and you know Neil's chance, Richie's chance to start the second half. Those margins are the ones you have to take, aren't they? Yeah, but I think we showed the last 30 minutes if we, if we stick to what we spoke about yesterday, we can really hurt them. And we did that, but the 460, like I said, we were off in every department. We were sloppy in, in our play, in our, in our press, in our transition. We gave up too many chances. Uh, four sixty minutes was nowhere near good enough. What do you put that down to? We have to look at it. We have to review it. We review in the morning uh, as a group, and and uh, we have to learn from. Is it. that something you can sense though, pre-match, or is it? Does it come as a surprise to you when the game no, starts? No, no surprise. Fall? I think we've been excellent. We've been absolutely excellent. Uh, but tonight we are off it. Okay, so that's Stephen Bradley there speaking to Damien Amara. Uh, Vinny, that's actually probably the first time this season I've noticed where uh, Stephen Bradley's actually gone through his team in a way because previously when they weren't getting results, he was talking them up. He felt the performances were good, but. Uh, and they were decent when they started to go more direct against Shelburne, but before that they seemed to be playing within themselves. But it's just an interest. It's an interesting post-match interview in the context of the ones that have come before. Yeah, I presume there's a there's a huge amount of frustration with Stephen. You've got to remember. Um, I think Rovers have played really well this season, okay, but they've played ten games and they've won three, so that's a thirty percent success rate. So by and large, you can't win a league that way. So something has to give. So he's got to get this team to improve. So the nicey-nicey, oh, we played well, all of that stuff will only go so far. They've got to start winning games of football. And in many ways, they're very lucky that we really don't have a, an outstanding team that have got off to a great start to put them under pressure. But they've only won three games of football out of 10. And by and large, that shouldn't be good enough you know, 10 games in, we're close to a tour the way through the season. Um, uh, I, yeah, I, I won't use this as a council session, but I remember in 19, the likes of Dave who had great articles about Dundalk and many others. And we lost two games of football before we won the league uh, with four games to go. And so while Stephen shouldn't be under any pressure from a managerial point of view, What's going on is not good enough. They should be picking up more points. And I think they will. And I think they'll still win the league by close to 10 points. That's my view as it stands now. But it comes a point where that has to start and they have to kick on. And it's not good enough to be dropping so many points. Yeah. And, and, and I'm sorry, yeah. Robert, it kind of felt as if they were going to kick on because those three wins that you mentioned all came in the last three games. Do you know what I mean? It yeah. felt as if that, you know what, they got that flip. And I was writing about this last week. And haven't been again at the, the match against Bowles. Like that was very impressive in the sense of other than the first maybe 10 minutes when Bowles had a couple of chances early on, Rovers dominated the game, totally controlled it in that atmosphere and all the rest of it. And and where Bowles were at and that kind of derby, and you kind of felt, you know what, like considering what they'd done against Dundalk, and then obviously you got the win against UCD after that that Bowles game, but that Bowles game in particular, like it just felt as if, yeah, you know what, that early season kind of blip as well as um was was out of the way. But then you see some of the the issues that they had and not being quite at it against Shells. Like again getting done by a short corner and then getting done even though it was an own goal, they still got done in terms of the overload 2v1 for that for that short corner. 
And then obviously how to, even though it was an exceptional counter-attack goal, he still got caught on the hop that way as well. So it kind of does make you think, you know what, some of the results and some of the, the streaks they went on in previous seasons under, under Stephen Bradley and maybe not. There's a huge chance for Shane Farrell as well. That's right. Kind of, wasn't there? He's just kind of caught in between two minds, isn't he? He's, he's, and even even with that, again, Jack Moylan, you know, he kind of, everything about that was brilliant. He timed it perfectly. He wasn't, he could have played it maybe a second or two earlier and the chance would have been gone. He waited the time and everything was brilliant until Shane Farrell had that chance and it was like, he was caught between having the shot and putting it into the back post. I can't remember who it was who was coming in at the, at the back, but like, and even the penalty was like, let's be honest, if that, if that had been given, I don't think people would have said, oh, what, what's he doing there? Do you know what I mean? It's one of them. If it went to VAR, either way, you, you would, it would have been maybe overruled or it would, or if it had been given, it wouldn't have been overruled or if it hadn't been given, they would have said, ah, there's not enough in it, but it could have easily been a pen, you know? So, um, and then you come into it, we talked with the squad before about Rovers, that's what's going to obviously have to play into it once the European campaign starts as well. That's going to be another factor to, to deal with um, during the summer. So I just, I don't see them. Maybe I don't, the way it's gone this season now, we're, we are like 10 games in. I think it's fair to make an assessment of how a season might pan out. And I just can't see, I don't maybe see now that a, a really long winning run will will happen. I think it's going to be a bit of a kind of a stunted uh, season. And I think it could be a very tight one. There could be a few teams in it and, Ball are still up there and already lost on, on Friday. But like just a manner of I don't know how how they can play and, and what they are capable of. I think they could be I don't think they'll drop they will drop points, obviously, but I can still I can see them sticking out. I think they've got a bit of boy about them and they still have a few bob to be able to spend as well when the transfer window opens up if they need reinforcements. So I think it could be an interesting now a long old season. I think it's gonna be a long season. I think it's gonna be there's gonna be a lot of drop points that really will. I don't think it's gonna be an exceptional team that'll go and, and go and win it. I just don't see anyone has shown that they're capable of doing that. Yeah, yeah just on that real quick, Raf. Yeah. I I I while while I, I was maybe a little bit critical of Rovers in terms of only winning three out of ten, they're just an exceptional team. I think we're starting to see the real Jack Bourne stand up. Thought he was he's been exceptional over the last week. When I came out of Daily Mount Park last week, I was like, wow, they were streets ahead. Yes, they've stuttered, but I still think they're miles ahead of everyone else in the league. And I don't think, I think that squad is exceptional. And I think it's only a matter of time before they click. But we are 10 games in, so we have got a good statistical uh, record to go on to back up what they're saying. But I just presume they're going to go and, and wipe the floor with everyone else shortly. Yeah, and uh, as you said, Bohemian's still top of the table uh, at this point, but losing 3-2 at home to St. Pat's in a match that had a little bit of everything, Vinny, I suppose, in terms of the, the Jordan Flores red card, which was looked looked a little bit harsh um, from the viewing of the replays that I've seen. And then, um, obviously, Bowes making a brilliant start with Adam McDonald's you know, goal, which was exceptional. But then Pat's turning things around very quickly with three goals. And then, again, Bowes having a bit of resilience in the second half to keep the game, um, to keep the game tight. Yeah, it was a it was um it was a funny game because sometimes you get caught up and you say three two two yellow two red cards, um and we hype up the league of Ireland and pretend it was brilliant, but it was it was a strange game. There was a lull in the middle of it where Pat had complete control. Anna McDonald's finish is exceptional. The technique for that finish is exceptional. It I just hate goals going into empty stands behind them. I think it was it was a brilliant finish. But then Pat's got a goal out of a bit of out of nothing. Chris Forrester, I think, um, scored it was from a corner, and 
Um, I know Owen Doyle is trying to claim it like all good strikers. I'm not sure he got a touch. And then the three goals in that 11 minute spell where McClellan scored and, and Mark, uh, Mark Doyle scored really good goals. They were, to be fair to them. And then the game just petered out and Jordan Flores sending off. It's funny because of Daily Mount, I didn't get a good view of it. But when I, when I viewed it back, I can see why Paul McLaughlin made the decision. There's, the studs are up and it's dangerous and it's not like Jordan. But it went through a spell probably after halftime where I didn't really see balls getting back into it. And then someone who actually has really impressed me this season, Dean Williams, took his goal exceptionally. But it, it, the catalyst for that change was James Clark coming onto the pitch. He was exceptional for for um, uh, for Bowes. And then Pats ended up hanging on for dear yeah. life. There was 15 minutes, and I, th- I believe the fan is okay. I'm hoping he is a fan, uh, took ill in injury time. The game had to be delayed, but then Tom, Tommy Lonergan came on and got himself sent off. And But down, down to 10 men, Bowes were exceptional for the last 15 minutes, put Pats under real pressure and the sense of relief from Pats and their fans when when that uh, final whistle went was huge. And um, what a great couple of weeks for St. Pats. You were talking about a bit of pressure around that team. and They've won four games and they're comfortably second now. So it was a really entertaining game, but there was a sort of 20-minute lull in it where Pats had complete control. But you must give credit to, for Bowles for, for making a really entertaining game. Yeah, and the vagaries of a 10-team league and just how things can swing very quickly and I suppose the narrative and your view of certain teams I suppose Pats in one way, David, are symbolic of that but then if we switch over even to the UCD-Cork City game and, you know, UCD looked cut adrift and they probably still are to an extent but they really chopped that gap down to, to Cork City who themselves would have liked to have kept on the coattails of those teams above but now there's a little bit of a, a small gap opening up there. Yeah, and it's one of them where even I think it's probably I get the sense you look at what even what Drotter are down and, and so far like they and the experience they were Kevin Doherty and stuff and they look as if they could have enough about them maybe to just not get dragged in and even from chatting to people even before the start of the season and now the season's gone I think it's been expected that that Cork and, and UCD would be down there it's kind of played out pretty much as as you would expect and I think like that's UCD's fourth fourth win of the season you look at Cork some of the results they've had at home as well and I think that home form is going to. It's. It, I know it's. It, it. It's typical to say maybe, but like you, you go to Turner's Cross and like when you would have been involved in some like some of the some of the best atmospheres and moments over the last decade have been some of those Dundalk and Cork games when the two when those two teams were were going at it. Obviously, it's a very different Cork team, but then you look at you look at the kind of the attendances that are there and the kind of bit of belief in the atmosphere that's there. It, it is going to be so important that that home form that could be one of the maybe the things for them as the season goes on that drives them and could help them maybe possibly not be involved in a in a relegation playoff. I just I know it maybe a bit harsh for UCD off and teams would have done it would have done it last year and I think there's a, a lot less quality in this UCD squad compared to even last year and the players that they would have lost. You mentioned at the start to say. Liam Kerrigan being being an example, um. But I just, I could, I just, I, yeah, I just, I can't see UCD kind of even though they got that win against Cork there Friday doing maybe what you what Cork could be capable of with, with having a home form. You know what I mean? And I think that could be a bit of downfall. And I think as the season goes on, I think UCD will maybe just be a bit more cut adrift. I don't could be harsh on Cork. I, I don't think that they're they're quite good enough to be able to. To properly go right up the right up the table, but if they're able to maybe hang on the coattails a little bit, obviously of a drop it in, 
give themselves a chance and maybe getting out of that that playoff. I think that's what their what their aim should be. Yeah, and they've got Daria Turner's cross next. Um, and also just to note the UCD winner there from Kieran Behan was a was a great finish from distance mm-hmm. as well. Nearly scored a second um in, in similar fashion, but just kind of came back off the inside of the post. Um speaking of goals though, just in terms of the Sligo Adrada game, Vinny and uh, Max Mata, who would have scored the equalizer there. I mean, there was a worry at the start of the season about uh um, Aiden Keane and the void that would have been left there but Max Mata is definitely and he was there last season but he's definitely stepped up and filled that void for them Yeah I watched this game on LOI TV and um, um, the last two Sligo games on TV haven't been classics by any stretch of imagination but um, I suppose the, the one thing that's consistent about Sligo is their inconsistency um, it's been it's been so up and down again. I seen them against Shelbourne, and to be honest with you, first half they were totally in control. And I was texting a, a buddy of mine saying, I'm really impressed with Sligo. It's the first time I'd seen them live. And just Will Fitzgerald looks like he's in really good form. Um, Hartman on the other side, really good player. Uh, Liverac is, is a threat from fullback as well. And and John Mann hasn't found his form yet um, since he's come back. That's been a strange one, but they look a really good good side. But Max Matt has been exceptional for them, and he's a real goal threat. And um, he looks fitter than I've, I've I've seen him for a long time. And really impressed with him um, in, in the game uh, against Shelbourne live. And then when I watched the game the other night, yeah, look, you you must give credit to to Drogheda. that he's sticking in there. They're very experienced. A lot of good players. Ryan Brennan. Gary Deegan know how to get the job done, but um, it's certainly two points dropped by Sligo. That's it. That's a result they they, they have to get more consistent because that there's an outside chance that Sligo went into European spot, so they'd be really disappointed by not picking up three points against Drogheda. But again, must give Drogheda credit; they they, they stuck at it. But uh, I'd, I'd be concerned about the sort of up and down form of Sligo because when you see them at times, they're exceptional. You see them at times. Uh, they're just not at it. So, uh, really, re- really strange game to gauge there Saturday night on LOI TV. I kind of yeah. wonder, sorry, again, I wonder if we mentioned that and it's kind of is a team. But I kind of wonder if this season is going to be a case of we're going to have little moments for each team, like a Pats where and a Sluga who are well capable of it, where teams will go on for maybe four or five winning game, winning game runs and if the tail is just going to fluctuate because no one seems to have found any real rhythm or level of consistency and the nature of some of the, the kind of changes and stuff could be difficult to actually get it, you know, and it's almost like in terms of getting those European places, you kind of almost have to time your run right, like in a horse race, you know what I mean? Time your run right and you could actually find yourself in a really strong position because at the moment, genuinely, you, you couldn't hang your hat on any team and say, you know what, they're definitely going to end up X, Y, and Z, you know what I mean? It, it just seems still to be quite up in the air, other than maybe possibly because of what they've done previously, Shamrock Rovers and their experience and the quality maybe that Derry, Derry would have. You're kind of still, I know it's probably bad to say it, and you're kind of still expecting balls to go through a bit of a, a bit of a bit of a struggle, you know, because that's just the nature of, of any season and it's going to be how they how they actually deal with it, you know. Yeah, and Dundalk and Derry would probably be two teams that I think can be viewed in that same light as well. I mean, they would have been expected to be a bit higher up maybe than where they are now. And obviously they drew 2-2 on Sunday, but um, it was Stephen O'Donnell's comments afterwards in regards to the pitches and the synthetic pitches specifically. Uh, and he was talking about the one at Oriel and it was regard to injuries. And he feels that it's something that Derry and, Und- and Dundalk have in common in terms of that being an issue for them. So he said... They are the two teams with the most injuries and we know what the correlation is. It's gone beyond probably a point of not 
uh, not a great surface to watch football on. It's actually injuring players, muscle injuries. There's no no give on it. You go up for a header, and if you don't land square on the ball of your foot, you're doing your ankle ligaments or doing your knee. I'm speculating, but all I know is we get a lorry load of injuries, and uh, Derry get a lot of injuries. I'd just be a bit worried about the injury count. Now, uh, he did go on to say that Dundalk's owners are looking at, uh, in terms of where you know the, we spoke about a few weeks ago, in terms of it getting investment in, that's one of the areas, is facilities and also the pitch, but they would have to pay for an upgrade themselves. And Derry City, though, their ground is council-owned, which is a slight difference and probably would help their case. But Vinny, um, I think you you know this this ground up at Oriel and the pitch uh, quite well. Um, what's your view on the situation and what Stephen had to say there? Yeah, um, my initial reaction to hearing those comments was, well, we didn't get loads of injuries for the last eight or nine years. And then when I thought about it, my first uh, league game at Dundalk, I think it was against Sligo. Robbie Benson broke his leg. Uh, Patrick McLean done his metatarsal. And three weeks, two weeks later, Chris Shields done his medial knee ligament. Um, welcome to senior management. Um, and they all happened in Oriel Park. So John Mountley got injured during his cruise ship playing for Pats, ironically, in Oriel Park. So I suppose statistically, there is a lot of injuries in the ground. I think the maintenance of that pitch is nowhere near the level it was previously. Um, I didn't see the sprinklers on before the game. It wasn't there again. I watched it on LOI TV. Uh, but it, it certainly helps. And um, the thing about the game is it was two all. There was a red card in it. It was action-packed um, if if you're writing a, a sort of piece in the paper for it. But actually, the spectacle, Oriel during the day is not a, a, a good viewing place. It has it, it is a little bit special when there's three and a half, four thousand, and the lights are on and it's dark in the surrounding. But as a spectacle last night or yesterday afternoon, it wasn't good viewing. It took away from the match. And the pitch was very bobbly. It was not playing anywhere near. It never been that good, but it, 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 if you can say this, it's uh, it started bad and it's faded. You know, it's gone really poor. And um, I thought the spectacle yesterday was not good viewing. And I wasn't watching that, looking at two top teams saying, these are the ones going to push Rovers because of the surroundings and the pitch and everything that goes with it took away from the game. So it's serious issues. And um, Patrick McElhenney missing again for, for, um, for Derry yesterday looked like just a nothing injury in, in, in the in the game last week on again on that on his on their plastic pitch. So um it's really concerning and um it's gonna cost Dundalk somewhere in the region from from the last time we, we discussed this and I would have been pushing for our previous owners, but the figures were coming back over four hundred thousand uh, to put it back into a um a grass pitch. So and then you know, you, people say, well, uh, the council will pay for that up in Derry. <laughs> it's going to take a long time before the, the, the Derry uh, County Council, I would say, rip that pitch up and put it, spend three or four hundred thousand pounds. So it's a long way back for the two clubs, but I think it's affecting both of them. And in particular, Derry are a better team on grass um, with the style of play they have. And I think it's affecting them. Yeah, certainly their home form, I think, so far this season, that's been sort of their, their Achilles heel for, for the most part. But like from the Dundalk point of view, um, given it's the, it's a club you know well, it, it, obviously from your view, it's an urgent priority. If investment and funding does come in, that that pitch gets sorted straight away and um, they move on to a grass one. 
Yeah, so there's a the the it, it was put down just before P6 took over and not putting the bounce map. I think that has a huge effect on it. And um it's funny, uh, I've been on the on the Brandywell pitch and being up there, and I always felt and our players felt the Dundalk pitch was better, but you're judging off really low standards. So um, there's just no give under them. Um I have just some of the AstroTurf pitches that are far superior than what the two of them have. And um, that bounce mat is huge because it gives no leeway once your studs become placed in the ground and also the bounce of the ball and the levelness of the pitch. So, yeah, it is hugely important, but they've got a lot of things to fix around that ground and I don't know whether they have the money to do it and it's not going to be an easy solution because the timing of it, you probably have to shoot your ground down. You think you've got to get grass onto it. So you can't do that over the winter in, in the Irish climate. So it means you're buying in uh, stuff and won't bed in. So it's not an easy solution for them. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, at the first division as well, there was uh, action on Friday night. So Finn Harps beat Treaty United 2-0. Waterford uh, continuing their resurgence under Keith Long with a 1-0 win over Kerry. Galway United relentless at the top of the table. Mm. It was 6-0 uh, victory over Bray Wanderers, who had started the, the day second. So it's... Uh, <laughs> It's uh, at this stage of season, obviously, there's still a long way to go, but it looks like Galway really have that uh, that automatic promotion play sort of not it's not sewn up, obviously, but it, they have a very tight grip on that. Um, Athlone Town also beat Cove Rounders 2 0, and then Longford Town on Saturday night lost 2 1 at home to Wexford. Uh, just uh, briefly in regards to Galway, Vinny, um, obviously, as, as we said, it's it's been relentless. I think it was it now uh, nine wins from yeah, nine wins from nine. Uh, goal difference of uh, plus 26. Uh, it's and 10 points clear Waterford as well. Uh, Waterford do have a game in hand, but it's uh, it, it's going to be a tall order for Keith Long to turn that one around in terms of closing the gap. Yeah, I think I think over time it's early enough not for Keith to be overly worried. But I mean, the way Gal- uh, the way Galway have started the season is exceptional. You've got to give uh, John Caulfield huge credit. Um, in many ways, he, he, uh, people say he's not easy on the eye, but I think that's just lazy comment. John, uh, um, John probably has to get them promoted. He've had enough goals at this stage, mm-hmm. but I think. The, um, the the fact that they started so well, they've got some experienced player down there, like someone like Killian uh, Bruder, for example, or they've got forwards who you feel can score goals and that will help them get out of that league. The fact that they're basically full-time as well is a huge advantage. Um, yeah, I think the Premier Division needs Galway, but it also needs Waterford in it. And I think if Galway and Waterford were promoted next year, um, no matter who's at the expense of, I think the league is set to be in a fantastic, like one of the best leagues of all time. Like uh, almost every team next year will, there's a good chance that every team will be full-time. Mm. That hasn't happened before. That's whether Drogheda and Cork, one of them go down, but uh, Drogheda obviously a part-time, but that hasn't happened before. And I think that will be uh, fantastic. And also the quality of the ground in Galway, the pitch is, is by and large, always really high standard facilities are outstanding. Waterford's pitch is really good and surrounding. So I think it's good that the two of them are the ones look likely that are going to be promoted. And it only makes for a better, better Premier Division and a better overall product mm-hmm. from a League yeah. One perspective. And you touched on it there, Vinny, but like compared to say the Premier Division, where we maybe, well, from my perspective, I can't see maybe a huge amount of kind of stretch in terms of teams breaking away. It could be a quite kind of congested 
because Waterford and Galway are full time, you'll see it now since obviously Keaton Arnold's come in and he's got a hold of things there. You can kind of see those two teams, Galway and Waterford, just kind of extending that as the season goes on. And God, I think it might be a bit of a too much of a tall order. You never know though in terms of when they play each other and, and how those games go, that could lead to a bit of a swing. And I think, yeah, if he's right as well, I think after what's happened maybe last season in particular, it was important for John Caulfield to have this kind of a start to the season and they really, from this point, from this point, should kick on. But I think as the season goes on, because those two teams are full-time, they will just, they should just obliterate is maybe too strong a, a award for it, but you can see them just showing their, uh, just showing, showing that as the season goes on, that they'll just be too strong for the rest of the day. Yeah, and then in the Women's Premier Division on Saturday, quite a lot of intriguing results there. So Wexford lost 3-1 at home to Athlone Town. Galway United and Shamrock Rovers drew one all. Cork City lost 2-1 at home to P-Mount United. DLR Waves uh, beat Sligo Rovers 3-0. And then double winner, reigning double winners, Shelburne beat Treaty United 1-0. And Jonathan Higgins was at the Shelburne match and he was chatting to Alex Kavanagh afterwards, who was uh, heavily involved in the Shelburne goal. Alex, you're right in form. You're pinging the ball left, right and centre out there. It's a, a difficult game for your side there, but all important, got the three important uh, points in the end. Yeah, I think obviously coming in, and we knew they've signed a new few players, um, so we weren't expecting anything lightly. Um, I think it was a tough game. You know, they did. They sat, sat back and it was hard to break down. Um, but I think we did defend well in the end and happy just to get the three points. We remember your screamer against Piemont just before the international break. You uh, went so close and I suppose, are you claiming an assist for Noel's one in the opening goal? Uh, 100% an assist, yeah, I'll take it. Um, but yeah, I'll maybe practice the free kicks a little bit more and hopefully get a few more, yeah. You were so close to getting, you could have, another day you could have got two or three perhaps. I know, yeah, sometimes it just doesn't go your way, but hopefully just keep practicing and maybe get a few. You look so, uh, you know, composed and so on top of your game. There are little flicks in midfield, yeah. strolling around. You're, you're, you're in good form at the moment. You're in full of confidence. Yeah, 100%. I think once you get a few games behind you, um, I think I'm working hard outside the field. Um, and I'm just enjoying it, you know. I think it's been a long time since I've enjoyed it with injuries and stuff like that. But each week I'm just looking forward to the game day. And, uh, yeah, I think it's a big thing when you enjoy football. You play better, you know. You can certainly say you're playing with a smile on your face out yeah. there. 100%, yeah. I'm just loving it each week, like training with the girls. I think, obviously... It's a new set of girls, but I think when players come and go, you know, sometimes it brings a bit of unity. And I think, like, coming from on the girls, we all love it, you know. And there's a great camaraderie in the team. But, yeah, I think I'm just really, really enjoying it. So, hopefully I continue playing well. That second goal just wouldn't come and, uh, you know, the penalty, know, you know, you nearly broke yeah. the crossbar down here. Oh, yeah, that's it's just, I think, it just wasn't my day today, getting a goal. Um, but sometimes you have those days, you know, you just have to leave it behind, hopefully the next game. Still, though, as you said, a lot of transition in the team, a lot of changing, you know, players coming. But you still manage to rally and it's a... Although even even if it is only for a few hours, back on top of the table. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I think obviously you just have to take it game by game. You know, you can't expect that else. Um, it's eleven v eleven at the end of the day, and once you get the three points, look, it probably wasn't our best performance. Um, but at the end of the day, you do get three points. I so will take it. Take the points and run home. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so that is Alex Cavanaugh of Shelburne chatting to Jonathan Higgins, and uh, we've also got live Champions League on Tuesday night. So it's Chelsea against Real Madrid, RT two and RT player. Um, with Liam Brady and Richie Sadler joining Joanne Cantwell in studio and then Ray Houghton alongside Darren Maloney on commentary as well. Coverage starting at 7.30 and kick off at 8. We'll also have highlights of Napoli and AC Milan afterwards. And uh, David, I, I suppose in terms of the Chelsea side of things, um, the Frank Lampard bounce hasn't exactly, uh, that hasn't happened uh, thus far. I didn't expect it in the first leg against Real Madrid out in Spain last week, but uh, the two league games either side of it, uh, it hasn't, uh, I think, to maybe bring Graham Potter back in might be uh, the mantra from even some of the more ardent Chelsea supporters. It's, it's, it's you know what, like, 
I was again watching. I watched a bit of this game, the Brighton Chelsea game on on Saturday, and just again, it just kind of summed up the difference in terms of where Brighton were. They were able to go and get a manager like the Zerbi who could come in and build on what Graham Potter and it kind of should be reflected as well. Though some of the, it's almost forgotten already because of what's happened. Some some of the exceptional work that Graham Potter have done there and laid the foundations, but because just of the man manner of how that club operate. Like they would have known as soon as Potter was gone that Deserby was pretty much top of the, the list to come in because he knew it was a manager who had a style and a way of playing and an understanding that could go straight in and work with those players and not have to, I don't know, not have to kind of rip things up and start again kind of thing and, and need weeks and months to, to put his stamp on things. And you look at what happened, what's happened at Chelsea and it's just a complete, it's just a complete mess and you kind of wonder, well, like who's who will they get? Who are they gonna to get to come in? Obviously, it's not gonna be for a clampard. Like that's that's clear. He's only in as an interim basis to try and steady the ship, and it hasn't it hasn't been possible again. Working over the weekend, and you see some of the quotes coming from when he's talking about team needing a bit of team spirit and maybe needing a bit of hunger and stuff. And then you have there's extra quotes from then today saying it's not all about just getting hunger. He has to work with the players and stuff. And it just kind of always seems that Lampard when he's talking, and I would have previously felt as if you know what you got a bit of a hard time from some people over here because maybe the English press might have been a bit more friendly to him but still a young coach and it should be noted he is the one who gave Jason Knight his professional debut in, in football over there with Derby County he saw that that potential in him and so I think he, he should always have a bit of a uh, I don't know kudos for that from well from my perspective anyway but it seems sometimes with Lampard when he talks as if even going back to Everton that a lot of the problems that are with William players, he doesn't seem to be capable of actually changing it. You know, it's issues with the players rather than stuff that he can actually influence, which I find a bit bizarre. And it's mad, but at the moment, you're kind of thinking like they can't score a goal, they're conceding, they're not playing well, there's confidence is low. You've got a manager who doesn't seem to be capable of actually turning that around. You've got an owner who, by the week, is becoming less and less popular with fans. You see fans turning on him at the weekend and having to deal with some unrest. You look at where they are on the table, and have a look at could be wrong. I might have to just double check real quick. And you're only a few, they're only a few points ahead of Crystal Palace now. We've had a bit of a bounce since Roy Hodgson went in. Like you're, you're kind of wondering now, well, how far can Chelsea actually drop rather than where can they go looking ahead? That's that's now where you would imagine Chelsea Chelsea fans who are going there week in, week out and, and see the kind of state they're in. That's going to be the concern. Like how far are they, are, are they actually going to drop before the end of the season? Because regardless of the individual quality they have, even before Frank Lampard came in, very, they've shown absolutely no inclination to be able to even produce those moments. Just an example would be if you look at some prior to when, say, Ten Hag came in at United, one of the accusations would have been at United players is that you know they had nothing about them as a team, which obviously was true, but they had enough individual quality to be able to pluck out moments here and there to get themselves up at the table. But even though Chelsea have some exceptional players, they just don't seem capable of playing to do that whatsoever. Yeah, and uh, it, barring the uh, what looks very unlikely, Vinny, that uh, Chelsea staged some sort of comeback against Real Madrid side who are just at home in Europe, um, have the quarterfinal first legs have they changed your view on who you think is going to go on and win win this particular uh, edition of the competition? No, not at all. Um, albeit, I'd say um, I was impressed with Bar- Bayern Munich until uh, Upanacho decided to just have one and just chuck one in and the game just went away from him and um uh but but I think it's 
it's between City and Real Madrid, and um, I, I would hope it's Real Madrid from a personal point of view. Always been probably my number one club. So I just I just think what the job Angelotti does, and you talk about man management and how he managed big egos and big names, and um, I've spoken to a couple of people who've actually worked with him, believe it or not, and uh, he just comes across exceptional man manager and forget football tactically just a man manager and he knows how to get the, the very best so ho i'm hoping it's a real madrid go go on and win it and um don't see it. obviously there's no way back for chelsea at this stage and um that was the only way you could see frank lampard in charge next year if chelsea would go on and win the champions league but that ain't happening now and i think his time is up and he'd probably be replaced before the end of the season i would say now to give someone a chance you know four or five games with no pressure um, before next season to assess the squad. Yeah, and then the notable thing also about uh, Chelsea's defeat at the weekend to Brighton, of course, was the Evan Ferguson injury, David, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, the, I suppose the the blow of it beyond, and it maybe if from what Deserby said, it doesn't, it's not as bad that it would end his season. I think it seems to be a couple of weeks potentially, but the I suppose the big blow is they have a big FA Cup semi final coming up, and it looks like he's unlikely to be able to feature in that. I know, yeah. And to be honest, I was half thinking of trying to get over to actually cover the game just because <laughs> there is that strong Irish influence. I don't think that's going to be happening. Although there does seem to be a bit of confusion because I think in the initial, in the aftermath of the game, this area we said, yeah, it's going to be a couple of weeks, but then just afterwards then said it's going to be assessed again at some point today or tomorrow. So there could be some news that could actually come on that depending on how it is. And we've already been here before before uh, with Ferguson and we with the, the incident with Fabinho where Luckily, it was not an Achilles injury or even the knee injury when he just had the, the bone bruising. But um, I, it's just desperate for him, you know, because he again he was doing well in the game. This is the thing as well. He was looking, he was looking at Trey. He, was, he had a good shot, and he looked as if you know he again just continuing on that just consistency of form and was looking impressive. So hopefully, it is a case of it's a couple of weeks at a couple of weeks at most, you know. And uh, although I'm sure, as I said, like considering. Deserby said it's going to be assessed again. Um, I think at some point today there could be further news on that later on. You know, so it's one to keep an eye on for sure. I spoke to his dad, Raf, this morning, right? So go on, here's the news. So the bad news is I purposely, when Evan gets injured, I don't ask him how the injury is because in case I let it slip. And the world we live in now, um it's the same something on here would be would be across the UK media in two minutes. So I, I actually purposely didn't ask him other than to say. Uh, there's a right gang going over for next week's semi-final. And unfortunately, it looks highly unlikely Evans going to be involved. So I just hope now Brighton win because um, wouldn't it be great to have one of our sort of up-and-coming talents involved in an FA Cup final? And um, I'd say it'd be difficult for him to, to imagine being 18 and highly likely you're going to start against Manchester United FA Cup semi-final in Wembley. So... It's just it's just part of his development, having to deal with the disappointment of that. Because in many football careers, you get these things that just happen to get injured at the wrong moment, that things go against you. So it's part of his development. And unfortunately, I don't have his exclusive for you on that one, Raf. And if you look, uh, at, yeah. if you look I thought, at, I thought you were building up to something there. <laughs> I was gonna, well, I was going to say I'm going to be straight on with you after this. We need for the 42. But I'm going to as soon as this pod is finished, I have the lineup. But but even if you look at it in terms of timing, and again, is the it's right everyone knows the talent he has but timings for certain moments like he's so unfortunate because he would have been coming up against the United team that has probably no Varane no Martinez Harry Maguire is suspended they're absolutely decimated at the back and it could have been a game 
that you would have seen him actually properly have a, a serious influence over as well. You, now, listen, you would have probably had it regardless because of the form he's in and and the kind of the temperament that he's he's shown since he's come in. But it's just like it's Brian for Brighton to go and do a job on you know with just with the manner of this week as well. Playing, well, you would say Brighton well. are probably favourites for that game. Would that be fair? No, it's I think it's a, it's a very even game. I think if you look if you're going if you're gonna just go off say the league table, you know, it would be favourites just because they're obviously ahead of Brighton in the league and they've had some but then if you look at maybe where teams are at as well in terms of moments in the season, Brighton are in good form, you know they're gonna be coming back from a, a game in Europe and that might dictate a lot of uh, in terms of their their form, not so much their form, maybe just maybe a bit of the mood or the momentum that's around them because they look very impressive against a very poor Forest team yesterday. Bruno Fernandez is going to have a week's rest because he's suspended for the game, but it's just just the way Brighton are at and what they were able to do against Chelsea and well, Chelsea are in a much different place than than United, but United are struggling at the moment defensively with the numbers who are going to be missing for that game, you know. Yeah, and we started this week's podcast talking about Irish players developing and kind of building. So I wanted to mention Jason Malumbi, um, Vinny, because uh, after the uh, the Ireland France game, you know, you highlighted you specifically highlighted him as one of the one of you know one of the star performers from an Irish point of view. Really impressed you. Um, he's having a good run with West Brom at the moment. Scored a couple of goals at the weekend against Stoke, uh, which actually. Um, led to them winning that game and it's four goals and four assists now um, for the season and almost all of those um, bar I think one assist all have come since January so he's just in a really rich vein of form Yeah and I think I think also the performance against France it's amazing I imagine players take huge confidence out of that and they you know you're playing against some of the best players in the world and uh, but his form has been exceptional as you said two goals to the day and I think um I wouldn't rule out West Brom having a run at getting into the playoffs. They're uh, three points behind Blackburn in sixth. So it's not undoable and it would be great for the likes of himself, obviously Darrow O'Shea being injured at the moment, but getting players like that back into the um, uh, into the, the premiership. So it will be an interesting watch to see how they do. But I just felt going back, going back to the France game, we talk about you know the game changing and or Ireland changing and players that play for Ireland are now technical and uh, like to pass it and, and all of this stuff. But what was brilliant about uh, Jason Malumbi that day was the guts, the the sort of rolling up the sleeves, having no no fear of who he was marking. And if if you happen to play for Real Madrid, so what? Like you're going to kick in the backside off me and. Uh, you need that blood and guts and that uh, bit of bit of will to win. And um, but it's not just that. I think I think if he adds goals to his game, I don't think he'd be long at a West Brom. I think a Premiership club will come in for him. Um, but he's he's good. He's in a good place where he is. Play week in week out at Championship levels, and I think um, he'll end up at a higher level um, if he continues his his growth. It's been exceptional and really really pleased from because. Comes across as a good guy. You'd like him on your on, on on beside you when 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 you know when you head into battle for want of better word. Yeah, and yeah, it was actually it was to, it was to you, David. Actually, because uh, it was just reminded me of a piece that you had done. Um, I think where you were talking to him and Dara O'Shea, and it like the difference the the difference it makes when you have a happy place where you're at in terms of like obviously I'm sure he was happy enough at Brighton, but he wasn't getting game time. 
but here he has like a really good mate in, in the shape of Dara O'Shea. And I, I remember there were some really funny lines in it as well. I think, is he, is he living in the house with them or something as well? I think yeah, there was stuff, stuff like that. But it, it makes such a difference and it seems to be coming out in his game as well. Yeah, I think the difference maybe, obviously, his deal for his deal from Brighton actually went, uh, to West Brom was made permanent at the end of last season just because of the games he played. I think it was like a trigger in the, in the agreement that had been done. But the difference then, obviously, when Carlos Corberan came in, and I'm trying to remember now what what Premier a Premier League job came up this season, and I think Corbran was they wanted him for it, and he turned. I can't remember who it was now. It's actually totally escaped me. But anyway, he signed what, a new. Wasn't day. wasn't Leeds or something? Was it? And what, do you know what I think it was? I think you're right. Yeah. I think it would have been Leeds when Jesse Mar- when Jesse Marsh left, um, and obviously he ended up signing a new deal. But yeah, like I I went over and just met um himself and Dara O'Shea just because. They are a bit of the odd couple, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, Malundi was living with him until, until um, Dara O'Shea and his partner had a baby. So, um, basically, it's, apparently it's a lot, a lot less stressful to have a newborn in a house than it is to have Jason Malundi not going to go to your house, according to, uh, to Dara. But, no, it was just, that is funny, but even little things, like, and it was nice, like, getting invited in to go and have a game of pool with, 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 with Malundi, and I kind of maybe had a... Uh, I'd beat myself up in terms of my own ability to play pool, but he, uh, I was brought up and he hockeyed me, and he... Uh, yeah, he didn't show any, didn't show any kind of uh, remorse in that. He just wanted to to make a show me and fair play he did. But that point that really makes it so true in terms of Ireland and where where, where Ireland are still at and what you still want from a team like and like any Ireland team. And I don't think anybody has kind of said, you know, you want to get away from it. You want to have a player like a Jason Malumby because if you go back to one of the best performances in terms of against a similar ranked team or quality team, Ireland against Scotland. And Malumbi was the one who helped set the tone that game. Obviously, you want to ha- then have those sprinkle of, of quality, like we saw the, the goals from Troy Parrott and Michael Obafemi. That, that's basically the prototype or the, the template for what you do want from an Ireland team. You want to have that aggression and tenacity and a bit of, not so much nastiness, but just have that in you to put it up to a team and then go and earn the right to go and play, because that's what Ireland do need. And um, yeah, hopefully now, with Malumbi every day working with a manager who does again we started this pod talking about that article that I had done but Carbran by all accounts and what um, how Malumbi was saying it would bring him in and work a lot of an awful lot of stuff one on one to try and develop his game and get more out of his game and hopefully now you'll see it like I just to finish on the point I remember back in January we went over and again it was actually West Brom against Burnley Burnley ended up winning the game they scored a goal late on uh, with a free kick but Malumbi was the best player on the pitch. He was absolutely everywhere for the whole game. Absolutely everywhere. And it was only maybe in the last 15 minutes when Bournemouth were able to start pegging them back. And then, coincidentally, Josh Cullen then became a bit more influential. But in terms of total aggression and also mixing it with a bit of composure, like Malumbi, that's that's what you want in his game now, to have, be able to have that drive in him. But then when he is on the ball, have that ability to be able to just keep Ireland going, taking over a little bit and... Hopefully that's what he's going to be able to do for for club and country, and hopefully he can get back to the Premier League. Because if it wasn't for the game, we're talking about Evan Ferguson, the injuries and timing. You go back to the when he was breaking in under would be Chris Hewitt at, at Brighton. He was getting in around the first team and had a very bad. Was it a broken leg or was it a knee injury? He had a very bad injury where he was out for the guts of a year. So for him to come back now, hopefully he can kick on and get that bit of consistency in his game. 
yeah um we'll hopefully we'll see we'll see anyway um we're kind of coming towards the tail end of the, the season over in england so uh but hopefully good momentum heading into uh the june window but uh, anyway we're gonna uh bring things to a close here just to remind you shells against undock live on friday night but also tomorrow night uh tuesday that is uh there is live champions league chelsea against real madrid but finney perth thanks a million for taking the time and also uh david's nate no Thank bother you.